I watched a report this afternoon, just briefly, about the underground church in China, which was quite exciting. And um, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's um, something you can get on YouTube. Um, and it's, it's basically footage of the underground church in China and what's happening as the Holy Spirit moves across what is supposed to be a godless communist country. And literally, not just thousands, but hundreds of thousands of Chinese people are turning to the Lord. I think that's quite exciting. And, um, amen. Thank you, Lillian. And um, as well as that, it was just really interesting to just see some of the underground meetings. Some of them were in caves. Some of them were in abandoned factories or abandoned barns. And uh, there was one particular uh, meeting they showed of the church, the underground church, where if you were a Christian, you sat down during the, the sermon and listened, and if you were not a Christian, you remained standing. So it was a good incentive to become a Christian, then you could get a seat. <laughs> but a thousand people in that particular meeting came to the Lord, so there you go. But it was really interesting to see some other things as well. Because of the, the eco economic boom that's going on there, and because of the numbers of people that work in factories particularly, they have a six-day working week, so they have one day off. So the one day that they have off a week, the, the church starts worshipping at 4.30 a.m. Yeah, 4.30 a.m. the church starts worshipping. And the services go on for 12 hours. They finish mid-afternoon. Isn't that amazing? And that's why God's moving, because there's hunger, frankly. There's hunger amongst God's people. I know we may find that funny, because we can't last half an hour, some of us. But I tell you, there's real hunger there. And there's real passion for God. And the average sermon lasts four hours. Now, I'm not going to do that to you tonight. But they're hungry. They're hungry for God. They're real, really hungry for God. And the guy who went there to just serve the church and bring the word to them um, was supposed to stay two days with them. And basically, um, he was teaching a lot of leaders in the underground church. And they're having this sort of th three or four day conference. And they said, could you come again tomorrow? And he said, well, what do you want me to teach you? And they just said, well, Genesis to Revelation. Because they had so few Bibles and so few understanding of the word that they just wanted to hear as much as possible and um, there was one particular girl she, she was probably not much older than Jess and she, she was, uh, was disabled and God healed her and she was now leading worship in a church of 3,000 people underground church in China and uh, there was just some amazing things happening and I really believe that God wants to do that here. Because when I look around our nation, I look around our town and our county, it's pretty hopeless in the natural. It really is. The government haven't got the idea. And social services are completely overwhelmed, to say the least, because of various breakdowns, whether it be family life, whether it be breakdowns of all sorts in society. Mental health problems are on the massive increase. 
And the only thing, the only answer to it is what we carry. But we still struggle to believe that's the case, that that's true. The only answer is Jesus. The only answer is the gospel. The only answer is the word of God to what happens. And you may say, well, I don't see that. Well, if you just look back in the history of this nation, 300 or so years, the Methodist movement that really now is not particularly on fire in a lot of places, but the Methodist movement changed this nation. Historians will say that. That, that, that basically there was, a, in, in the 1700s, particularly mid-1700s to late 1700s, there was massive alcoholism, massive family breakdown, a lot of the same problems we have in society today, massive promiscuity everywhere. There were the same problems we have, and, and, and a few good men and women stood up for Christ in their generation and changed our nation. Our nation was headed for a bloody revolution just like France. This is a historical fact. And they changed the nation. They built hospitals and schools and churches and had massive evangelism outreaches. And many people were healed and set free and saved. And the Holy Spirit moved. And this was hundreds of years ago, 300 or so years ago. And that, that, that's not just, you know, Christian books. If you do courses in Open University on the history of this nation... It talks about the Methodist revival being a major, major influence to change the nation and turn the nation. So go and study it. Go and Google it. You'll get some good stuff. Because that's our heritage. That's the heritage of believers in this nation. And I want to see it happen again. It needs to happen again, doesn't it? It really does. Because if... We are not believing for God to move. To, to be frank with you, I don't believe I'm called to hold little meetings for the next 50 years. I don't believe I'm called to do that. I believe I'm called to do that for a season. I'll be faithful to do that. But there's a lot of other things I want to do. When I started ministry, I started on the streets as an evangelist. Not as a one bam thank you man you know, make a contact, make a decision, but actually just going out there and sharing Jesus. And I, I want to do that again over summer, not just with uh, the Festival of Life, but other opportunities to do that. Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in our message. I'm confident in our God. That God wants to do the same things he's, he's done in our history in this nation. God wants to do the same things he's doing in China right now here. He wants to do that. He wants to do it through you and me. But he's not looking for part-time Christians. He's not looking for people who are just attenders. He's looking for people who really, really want to change and develop and be transformed. I want to recap on some things that I've been saying the last couple of Sundays. And can I just say, if you're tired and you, you're not going to be able to make it, then I won't be offended if you leave. But I, I just really want to um, really go deeper into some stuff that I've been sharing with you the last couple of weeks. Because I really believe that God, the purpose of God, is so important. And I think so many of us as Christians, we don't grasp his purpose. We don't grasp the importance of what God wants to do. So if you've got a Bible with you, just turn with me to Romans chapter 5, please.
going to read a verse I read often, but I think it's quite powerful. It says this in Romans 5, verse 17. For if by the, the one man's offense death reigned through that one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So, so through one man's sin or offense, death reigned. Who was that one man? Adam. So through Adam, death reigned. Because Adam decided to walk away from God and do his own thing, death reigned. That's the power of a single human being. Don't think you're not powerful as a human being. You are. And for Adam, his decision meant that corruption and death reigned in the world. A alternative to God's life came into the world through Adam's rebellion against God. And it says here, much more surely will those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, they will reign in life much more surely than what happened to Adam. Just the corruption you see in this world system, more surely than the corruption you see and the decay and the mess that's in our society, it's obvious, it's all around us. But much more surely than that, those who really receive, not just pay lip service, but really receive grace, abundance of grace, really receive the gift of righteousness. What does that mean, the gift of righteousness? A gift of a right identity before God. When we really start to receive that, we're going to reign in life more surely than the corruption that's in the world. Does anybody in this room believe that? I'm starting to believe that. That God wants us to reign in life in a powerful way. Amen? And we've looked in the last couple of Sunday mornings, and if you've not been there, you'll kind of catch up. The whole idea of God's dream being to have a people in the earth that just are just like him, that change the world. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says, the whole earth is groaning, longing for the sons of God to be revealed. The whole of the earth wants God's mandate, God's system to reign in the earth. Go with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God said, let us make man in our our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. So God's plan was for human beings to be blessed to be a blessing. To be blessed to be a blessing. That's his plan. His plan was free people who've made a decision to come into relationship with him to be so blessed that they'll be a blessing to the whole world. To, to, to be blessed means to be empowered to prosper. To be blessed means to be joyous. Joyous. The word in the Hebrew is barak, and it literally means that God himself kneels before humankind and says, everything that I have, I'm giving to you. That's blessing. This is not a small thing. I know what happens in religious circles. We take 
Words like bless, God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. But actually, we, we, we actually fail to realize the significance and the depth of that word. It's like the Father of lights, God himself, the creator of heavens and the earth, Barak blesses you with everything he has. Isn't that amazing? And God wants us blessed. He wants us blessed in every single way. Blessed of mind, blessed of heart, blessed, blessed of of voice and, and, and blessed in every area of our lives. There's so much curse in our society. There's so much people who are named Christians still living under curses that they're never supposed to. God wants us blessed. And I, I really want to continue to minister this, not just with word, but with prayer, until we get a company of people that are truly blessed in God. Really blessed. Really, really blessed in every single way. We're going to see it. I'm going to see it in my generation. Amen? Amen. So we looked at this idea this morning, go with me to Genesis chapter 2, of God planting his man in a garden and giving him a mandate, giving him something to do with that garden. And I pose the question this morning <coughs> that if... If a garden is not cultivated, what does it end up looking like? Weeds and a wilderness. It becomes a wilderness, doesn't it? So God created this beautiful garden. And without man's partnership with him, it was going to be a wilderness. But God wanted it to be cultivated by the man. And he wanted this garden to influence the whole earth. Whatever you believe about Genesis 1-3... to Let's just read the text. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. <clears throat> the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. These stories of creation, I believe that they're true, but they've also got a deeper underlying meaning, a deeper spiritual meaning. So, for example, dust there... Mean, it literally means in Hebrew, a desire to receive. So God created man from that desire to receive. To receive from him. Notice the first scripture we use tonight. If they will receive grace and the gift of righteousness, they'll do something with it. They'll start to reign in life. But there's got to be a receiving in order to do something. Religion says... Do, 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 and you may receive. God says, receive from me, then start do the, doing the things I do. There's a big difference. And it's a really, really important difference. So, God created man with this desire to receive, but he wanted man not just to have a desire to receive, but to be like him and be a giver. So not just be somebody that receives, 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 but gives as well. And only in relationship with God would that be possible. Let's read on, verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So there was a place called Eden, and there was a garden in it. Okay, that's a difference to what we normally think of. And there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleased to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the garden and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now verse 10. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four river heads. And I pose the question this morning. If there were four rivers going out of Eden, does water flow upwards or downwards? So Eden was on a mountain or a high place. And rivers flowed down from there. And the man's job was supposed to cultivate the whole of the earth with the same stuff that was in Eden. God's heart, God's dream, heaven on earth was in Eden. And man's task was to follow those rivers and cultivate and take Eden further. Take the dream further. Take heaven further across what was a barren earth. You see, there are two different accounts of creation. In Genesis 1, there's one account. In Genesis 2, there's another account. Okay? They're, they're both very important, but both give us different thoughts and different ideas. So man's job was to do specific things. And we know later on in the story of Genesis, story of creation, a story of man's involvement, that the reason why rain hadn't come was that there was no man to till the ground. There's this idea of partnership between God and man. And man was there to do something, not just sit on his backside, but do something to cultivate God's dream in the earth. God's dream in the earth is pictured right the way through the prophetic scriptures in different ways. God sees his dream as a garden, a paradise, where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no trauma, there's no abuse. Everybody's safe. The prophet Zechariah said this, in God's restoration heart, he wants to see a world where the old are safe in the streets and the children play in the streets. And there's this desire that God has that the whole earth would look like a garden, look like a, a reflection of Him. And I believe somehow when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus after the resurrection, she was onto something prophetically when she thought He was the gardener. Because she, in her spirit, picked up that this person that she didn't recognize as Jesus was here to cultivate something, here to bring something new in, and here to make a difference. And what did, what did Jesus say to her? The first thing he said to her, to go and do. If you read it in, I think it's in John chapter 19, he was so excited to tell Mary this. And this is really significant what he told her. Remember, she thought he was the gardener. Then she realized it was the Lord. And he said this, go and tell my friends, go and tell my friends that now my father is your father. Go and tell my friends that now my father is your father. My father is a gardener, a great gardener. And he wants to use you and me to cultivate the whole earth with his glory. 
And, and that was the mandate. Go and tell them that they have a father. Go and tell them that they've got a job to do. And all the way through the prophetic scriptures, we see this idea of God's heart being to produce a garden. And then we all also see the, through the prophetic scriptures the idea of God wanting a, a mountain that speaks of authority. That the people of God, that the, those that are called to be like him, would be like a mountain, would be something powerful in the earth. We see in the scriptures as well, if we read and study them, <coughs> that God wants a city. And we also see that God wants a bride. He wants a church that would represent his heart in the earth. And we look this morning at the difference between Zion, which is God's people, or God's garden, or God's mountain, or God's city, or God's bride, and Babylon, which is the complete opposite of God's heart. The world system, Jesus put it this way in John 16, the last verse of the chapter, 33. He said this, in this world system, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the system. In this world system, this Babylonian system, which started in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at that in a minute. This Babylonian system that started with man thinking that they were God without God. That they could do it themselves. They didn't need God in their life. They didn't need love in their life. They could do it themselves based on lust and, lust and corruption and their own desires and selfishness. They didn't need to receive love. They just wanted to receive everything else to fill that God-shaped hole. And in the book of Genesis, we see <clears throat> this story of the people getting together in unity and building a tower, and that tower being a a sense of pride that we can get to God on our own. That was the whole point of it. It was called the Tower of Babel. And God wasn't happy that people were trying to be like him without him, trying to almost usurp his place uh, as, as the lover of their souls and thinking they don't need him. And that Babylon, that Babel became the foundation of Babylon and that, that Tower of Babel that was knocked down and destroyed, the foundation of that was the place where Babylon was built on. And let's look at that in the Scripture. Go with me in the book of Genesis, please, to Genesis chapter 10. <coughs> Genesis chapter 10. We see the first king of Babylon, the first king of Babylon described in this particular chapter. Chapter 10, verse 9, verse 8. So Cush, who was the grandson of Noah, begot Nimrod, who began to be a mighty one on the earth. Nimrod, Nimrod's name means somebody who's valiant in rebellion. He was the first king who subjugated people. What does that mean? He was the first king that made people slaves and hurt people and made them his subjects by tyranny. He was the first one to do it. And he wore horns on his helmet, just as you saw uh, in later histories like the Vikings and so on. He was the first one to do it. And he was the one, it says in verse 10, and the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel in the land of Shinar. And that's the place where the Tower of Babel was. 
and it's the foundation of Babylon. And it's the foundation of the world system, which means this, might is right, I'll step over you to get to where I want to go, you're nothing, I'm something. The Babylonian system is a few hold all the power and the money, and the, the most, most people just get by and suffer. That's the system. And that system is instituted satanically by the enemy at the beginning, almost the beginning of Genesis. But God's system is completely different. God's system is not, you know, um, to get over somebody else, you've got to treat them badly, but to be a servant of all. God's system is if you want to be the greatest, become the least. God's system is not get, 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 but receive from him to give into this world. Why am I saying all this? Because it's important that you know not just a superficial gospel, but you have some depth to what you believe. Because what you believe in life will be tested. And you have to decide. Even You may have become a Christian. You may have given your life to Jesus. But what does that actually mean? It means that we're supposed to live an entirely different system to the system that everybody else lives in. It means we're supposed to think the way God thinks, not the way the world thinks. We're supposed to speak the way God speaks, not the way the world speaks. We're supposed to live from His resource, not from the Babylonian system. And I don't think we... I think generally in the church, because we have one sermon a week and we, that's all we can afford in our time, and we don't get into the Bible much ourselves, we have a very thin veneer of understanding of our faith and the importance of it. And I just want to share a little bit longer, if you can cope with it, some of the foundation and, and, and importance of this. So, Nimrod's name means rebellious one. And <clears throat> Nimrod conquered much of the known earth at that time, and set up the foundation of the Babylonian kingdom and the Babylonian system. He was somebody that was the he was one of the first kings to drink the blood of his enemies because he felt he'd receive power if he drank blood from his enemies. He was the first one to sacrifice children in the fire to Satan or Moloch, who is called in the Old Testament. <coughs> and in that environment comes a man called Abram. Into that environment comes a man called Abram, who's already started to be called by the one true God. God is already reaching out to Abram. In that awful society, in that awful situation, he started to reach out to Abram. And we find in Genesis 11, we haven't got time to turn there, but if you want to take notes on this, in Genesis 11, I think it's from verse 27 to the end of the chapter, <coughs> we see... A st uh, some understanding of Abraham. His father was an idol maker and he made idols in worship of Nimrod and the gods that Nimrod followed. He was an idol maker. And rabbinical teaching teaches that, that he was an idol maker. And it says that they lived around a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was a place of fire sacrifice. It wasn't a, just a, a city. It was the the, 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 the center of sacrificing children to fire, to appease demonic gods. It was the center of everything that was Babylonian, everything that was self-centered. 
Ur was the center of that. <coughs> and what happened to Abram out of, in that awful situation, God was calling him. And in something called the Stone Shumash, which is a rabbinical teaching based on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there's a story about Abraham <coughs> that basically the one true God, Yahweh, we know as Jesus, he was starting a relationship. He was starting to call Abram. And Terah, his father, was really upset about this, so made Abram walk through the fire. Ur of the Chaldeans. He made him walk through that fire. And the story is that Abram came out the other side. He went into the fire, but because he believed God, he came out of the fire. Remember, Abram is described as the father of our faith, and certainly is to the Jewish people. Can you think of another Old Testament story where people go in a fire and come out the other side without burning them? Where do you think those guys got the faith for it? They heard these stories of Father, Father Abraham. So he, he did this, and, 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 and you can read the story. His, his, brother, his brother Haran did the same thing. He saw Abram come out the other end, and he went in, and got burned and died, and his father was completely and utterly taken up with his son Haran's death. And in that situation, God had called Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make you no name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in your, you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Have you noticed verse 1? It says, the Lord had said to Abram, past tense, God was already calling Abram, get out from this situation. Get out from this system into an entirely new way of living. And Abram followed the call. <clears throat> and I, I think for, for many of us, we're still getting out of that system. The way we think. We think that some of us think we're really worldly wise. And, you know, what, what do Christian leaders know? You know, they've not lived, they've not experienced what. I'm worldly wise. No, you're just still getting out of the system. You're really just getting out of the system. A system that wants to subjugate you all your life with fear and torment and think you never achieve what God intended you to achieve before the foundation of the earth. And God wants you to achieve that. And he wants you, what does it say? Get out of your country. Get out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Get out of that place of idol worship and self-centeredness and, and lasciviousness and, 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 and self-interest. Get out of that place. Get from, he says, get from your own family. You know, sometimes some of the people that are nearest and dearest to us, if they don't follow Jesus, and sometimes if they follow Jesus religiously, they can be a real stumbling block for us to move forward. And it doesn't mean we disown our family, but we've got to get our mind out of the thinking and the heart of whether it be religion, because all religiosity, negative religion is Babylonian. It's not the heart of God. And it says, I will, I will bless you. I will make your name great. What does that mean? I'll make your identity great. I'll give you a great identity. 
not an identity of, of, a, of a pawn in the Babylonian system where you're just a victim, never a victor. I'm going to give you the identity as a victor, not a victim. And as I look around the church today, there are many people who call themselves Christians that are still victims instead of victors. And God wants that to change. He wants us to be victors, not victims. Amen? He wants us blessed. God didn't come to Abraham and say, if you get out of that country, I'll give you lots of rules to follow. No, he says, if you get out of the country, I'll bless you. God wants you blessed. He wants you completely and utterly blessed. (coughs) Why am I saying all this? Because that Babylonian system tries to counterfeit everything that God has. Remember I said earlier, God's looking for a garden, he's looking for a mountain, he's looking for a city, he's looking for a bride. Do you know that that Babylon itself had hanging gardens and they were all man-made? So Babylon was a garden. Also, Babylon was on a man-made mountain, the foundation of Babel. Also, Babylon was a city. And also, Babylon is described in Revelation as a harlot. You see, a bride gives herself in love, and a harlot gives herself for money, which is the Babylonian system. God wants us to get out of that system with everything we are and live a completely different way. And I, I for one... And my family, I want us out of that system completely. I want this church out of that system completely. You know, that system means this, that the only way to have authority is to subjugate people and judge people. All judgment of other people is part of the Babylonian system. When you judge somebody, you are saying that you have the kingly authority to make a decision on something in their life based on limited information you have. And it's the Babylonian system. It's saying, I'm the wise one, and I know their situation, and I'm going to judge it. Only God knows. And God can give us the wisdom to help empower people, but not to condemn people. All this stuff is part of that same system. (coughs) And then we come to a day when after God greatly blesses this man Abram, he has a situation where his nephew is kidnapped. Remember Jesus said, in this world you'll have suffering, and his nephew is kidnapped. And he's kidnapped by five kings. One of them is called Amithrael, and it's just another name for Nimrod. So this king of Babylon, as, long, as well as four of the kings, capture Lot's Uh, capture Abram's nephew, Lot, and take him away. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 14 that Abram and some of his hired servants went and took on five kings and their armies. That's quite amazing. Five kings and their armies with a few hired servants and defeats them and gets Lot back. And when he does this, two people appear to celebrate the victory. Two distinct individuals appear. One was the king of Sodom. And he is a a representation of Satan. The other was Melchizedek. And he was a representation of God. And they appear, you can read it in Genesis 14, and they appear in the the valley and meet Abram. 
And the king of Sodom says to Abram, you can have all the spoils from this great victory. You can have it all. Just give me, just give me something. And the word in the Hebrew there is not give me the people, it's give me the souls. You see, the devil's always after the soul. He's after your mind, he's after your will, he's after your emotions. He can try and twist it to make it religious, or he can try and make it self-centered, or he can make it full of victimhood, but he's after your mind, your will, and emotion, and he wants to keep it in the Babylon system, so you never get into God's system. As a man thinks within himself, so he becomes. God wants you to think like him. <clears throat> Some of you have suffered terribly in life, and you have a chance to break that chain and move into God's kind of system. Some of you who may have had terrible financial problems, God wants to make you a distribution center for finances. Some of you who had terrible personal relationships, God wants you to be in a place where you have such wisdom in relationships that you end up being able to teach on relationships. You know, God loves in his creativity to take what the Babylon system has messed up and make it wonderful. That's the way God works. And these two people turned up to meet Abram. And this, this representation of Satan, the king of Sodom, he says, I'll do an exchange with you. You give me stuff, I, I just want the souls of the people that were, that were there for the taking. And Abram says, no, you're not going to do that. He says, I've already raised my hand to God. And no one else is going to make me rich because I'm God's man. And at the same time, Melchizedek comes. And Melchizedek is the representation of God. And he's the king of righteousness, the king of peace. And he comes with what? Bread and wine. He comes with the representation of the new covenant, bread and wine. He comes with what is known in those ancient societies as the meal that they have when they've won victory. And he gives this meal to Abram. And he blesses Abram again. God Most High blesses him. And that's those same symbols of victory Jesus used to establish his people, establish his church. And says, when you take this bread and you take this wine, remember me. He's not just saying, remember me on the cross. He's saying, remember what victory I won. That I have literally come to destroy that system. I've come to reboot the whole thing. I've come to bring in a completely different way of thinking. And can I suggest to you that in 2,000 years of Christianity, we have lost so much back to the Babylonian system. We've lost so much back to that satanic system. And God wants us to come into real life and real experience of him. I want to read a verse from Hebrews if you, want, if you go there with me, it's Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8, it says this, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. For he waited for the city which has foundations and whose builder and maker is God. 
Abram had a revelation of the city of God. He had a revelation of God's system, God's kingdom coming to earth. And God wants to give you a revelation of that. God is not a respecter. He's not, he doesn't have favorites. He's no respecter of persons. And if God can reveal a divine purpose to Abram thousands of years ago, he can reveal divine purpose to you. But you've got to decide to get out from the stuff that's Babylonian in your thinking and your heart and start to live a life. Because one day we'll stand before him. And as for me, I don't want mixture in my life. I don't want Babylonian system and God's system in my life. And I don't believe many of you do. And I believe it's time to make a decision. Make a decision that we're going to be those that are blessed to be a blessing. Going to be those that bring in that system. Would you stand with me please? Just close your eyes in his presence. You know, if I can find a few people in this church or this place that really want to bring heaven to earth, that really want to operate out of the priesthood of Melchizedek, dispensing absolute life, who really want to bring about God's system in the earth, then a lot of things can change. Church is so much deeper than singing songs. So much deeper than getting on with a few people and having a nice time with some cake. It's so much deeper than that. God's trusted us to change the world. God's trusting us to make a difference and bring in his system. What an immense trust he places in us. I'm going to just put a song on for us just to meditate at the close of this meeting and you can sit down and meditate on the song in a moment. But I want us to do business with God. You may not have understood everything I said. You may have been bored by it. You know what? I don't really care. Don't really care. Because I've delivered what God wanted me to deliver. As I did this morning, as I did last Sunday. Sometimes it's easy to try and entertain and say, countless testimonies again and again and again and you know make people laugh and, oh it was a good time but actually what I've done if you take hold of it if you really take hold of it and study it out yourself will we'll change you and change the world around you you know what even the desire to be popular is part of the Babylonian system you know, when they were praising Jesus for his wonderfulness, 
saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was aware that in a few short days' time, they will be nailing him to a cross. And that's what the Babylonian system does. And you see it all over our media. You raise somebody up, and then you knock them down. And that's been in, in our Christian community sometimes as well. You raise somebody up, and you knock them down. Total Babylon. What does the word say? Be good to the household of faith. What does the word say? Edify and encourage. Carry one another's burdens. And this way fulfill the law of Christ. The only law in, the, in Christ's system is the law of love. So, Father, I just pray right now that this, what's been said today and this morning and last week, to those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And Holy Spirit, I pray as we just enjoy this song and respond, that you would just plant this word into their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.